If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas, and I'm excited that you're here. And with that, we're going to jump into this week's podcast here in just a second. We're going to hit up our sponsors that help make the show possible. There's lots of companies that I believe in that I think help veterans across the board, whether it's find a job, hire talent, become more efficient in their practice, all those things, right? So these sponsors mean a ton to me. So I know a lot of people will fast forward or skip through them. But if and when you're looking for help and some of the solutions they offer, I would highly, highly encourage you to check them out. And so with that, no further ado, jump into the ads and we'll get right into the show. So thank you for listening and uh, enjoy. I get it, Isaiah. You talk about Bitcoin all the time. Well, as I go out and about, I continually hear the demand for any more Bitcoin education, or I don't really understand. I hear you talking about it. I know you're passionate about it. I know you have a lot of conviction, but I need more info. And that's where Bitcoin for Vet Med really came from, was taking, hey, the 10,000, 100,000 hours of time that I've spent and distill it down into bite-sized courses and walking you through of getting a foundational why, a little bit of understanding the technical side of Bitcoin, and then how to grapple with the fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and just the things that you hear throughout the media and giving you the ability to up your Bitcoin knowledge to go from zero to hero and feel a lot more comfortable saying, okay, this is something that matters and I want to take some of the value that I create and save into Bitcoin. So head over to bitcoinforvetmed.com or click the link in the show notes. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. Finding a job or finding a veterinarian shouldn't be a waste of time. Enter an offer first. Paul Diaz and team have created something really special with Offer First. Some of my favorite reasons are as follows. Candidates and employers will both have values aligned on the first step, not the last. The sign-up process, quick and simple, no resume required. So if you're looking for a job, but you aren't really sure, it's as easy as scrolling on Zillow for a home. And finally, if you have a great match, it's based on your each unique requirements, not random keywords. If you want to learn more, listen to episode 179 with Paul Diaz. We cover all of that. The other exclusive great thing that you're going to get from this ad read and from Paul is I convinced him to give an exclusive discount to listeners of this podcast. So for owners, you're getting a 20% discount on both the placement of any candidate, but also access to the platform. Use VSP if you go to offer first or the easiest way is a link in the show notes. So check it out. Associates, those looking for a job, same thing. Use the link in the show notes. Use VSP if you go directly to offer first. But 
I will donate and Paul will donate to a veterinary nonprofit of your choosing. So each person that signs up gets a vote. Your votes actually count, which is incredible. And so I'll be reaching out. I will handle that. But there's going to be a donation made for any associate or any job seeker that adds on the platform. We want to make sure that not only does the platform help to make sure that you find a better fit, better culture, better role, but it's also doing good in veterinary medicine. Okay. So link in the show notes is going to take you to offer first. It's going to automatically apply that, but also use code VSP if you go to offer first directly. And offer first is changing the game of veterinary recruiting. I want each and every one of you to benefit from it. So check them out today. Find out for yourself why my friends at Shepherd Veterinary Software are the fastest growing practice management software. They're doing something right. Founded by Dr. Cindy Barnes, Shepherd is an intuitive, easy to learn, streamlines practice management. Built for vets, by vets, it works for you and your team so you have more time to spend on what's most important, your patients. Shepherd automatically updates the medical records, adds services to the invoice, generates discharge instructions, and so much more. Bring home more stories and less stress. Check them out at shepherd.vet. Again, that's shepherd.vet. On the show today is Dr. Ira Gordon. Dr. Gordon is a veterinary radiation oncologist, researcher, entrepreneur, and has done a ton in the veterinary profession and animal health over the past 15 plus years. Chief veterinary officer with Vetcelerator and the co-founder of the Vein or Veterinary Angel Network for Entrepreneurs. Last but not least, has co-founded and owned several veterinary practices, experience with other kind of just broad small business and including CEO, COO, and medical director and director of innovation. Lots of different roles, lots of different experience. Welcome to the show, Dr. Gordon. Thanks. Uh, you know, I've been a, a big fan of what you've been doing for a while, so it's a pleasure to come on and have the chance to talk. Absolutely. I appreciate the time. It feels like a lifetime ago that we were able to sit down and connect at VMX. Lots of stuff has happened. Doesn't feel like it's the same year. But with that, a lot of times when I kind of prep for a, a show, I want to kind of go back through social media, different posts, just things that are interesting to kind of dig into. And one thing that I saw, it was an older post that you put out there, but I thought it was really interesting because you had some comments on it. So hopefully you'll be able to be like, oh yeah, I remember that. That was really good. It was profound, I thought. But it was something where you talked about the connection between confidence and being authentic and how that had really changed for you over time. And I think that could be a good springboard into some of the other conversations that we're going to get into. Thanks. I'm glad you brought that up. It's been a little while since maybe I've, I've thought about it exactly that way. But I have often struggled with this notion that I have worried that I may come off as being inauthentic, even though I feel like I'm an open book and I'm as honest as I can be with people. And I struggled to sort of reconcile those two things. And part of it is in my nature, I think, as an introvert and just my general social awkwardness. And uh, I had this realization when I was reading this book about the relationship between confidence and authenticity, and that when you're not confident and you're not trying to hide it with fake confidence, what people oftentimes perceive is that your sort of hesitation actually can come off as a lack of authenticity. And I thought that was really interesting because I have become more both competent and confident, I think, in, you know, as I've gotten a little bit older for good reasons. And I'd started to wonder is my sense that, yeah, you know, my worry that I come off as being so inauthentic actually a little bit outdated and is sort of coming from this time where I really lack confidence in that that was driving that. I think probably it's more complex than that. But that notion that when you're just starting at something and I think about just starting as a vet and 
you're not having a lot of confidence as you make recommendations to clients and the like may come off not only as a lack of confidence, but as a lack of authenticity. And so I just found that to be a connection that I hadn't previously made and was excited to sort of share with other people. So the term that comes up when I see that is when people will talk about when they're new to something or younger, the fake it till you make it, right? What are your thoughts on that term? It makes me really uncomfortable. <laughs> like, yeah, same. <laughs> I think that it feels like a good way to land yourself in a lot of trouble to pretend that you know things that you don't know and that when you don't know things, being upfront about what you do know, about your thought process and how you arrive at the best answer to a question or, or problem seems like the right thing. But what I do like about the fake it till you make it sentiment is the notion that we all kind of, well, I don't know about we all. I think many people struggle with this notion that even when you're really good at something, you feel like you don't know enough, right? It's one of these things that's difficult to connect, but the more you know about something, the more you also realize you don't know about that topic. And so you're always going to feel like they're, you're not really an expert. And I've taken the path of becoming a specialist in veterinary radiation oncology. So this is a specialty that when I joined it and I think now has roughly a hundred people in it, in the world, essentially. And so objectively, I should be able to look at that and say, I should be one of the hundred smartest people in the world when it comes to this one specific topic, right? And in some ways, I think that's almost what it's taken for me to kind of reach this point of confidence when I say, you know what, I see cases and get asked things about radiation that I don't know the answer to, but having that objective knowledge that there's really not very many people that could possibly know more about this than me helps me to sort of have the confidence in just saying, here's what I know. And here's my basis for giving you an answer to this question or giving you a recommendation for your pet with the knowledge that there's a lot of things that I still don't know despite my expertise. Yep. So the idea of as you learn more, the more you realize you don't know is like Dunning-Kruger effect. And so I think it's so interesting where it plays out. It's not just vet med, it's everything in life where people learn about something new and they're like, oh, if you know someone in that space that maybe isn't quite as vocal, they probably know a lot more. They just know what they don't know. So they, they maybe aren't quite as verbose on explaining certain things. We're like, I still might not know, right? The other thing that you just brought up being one of a, a hundred and what I've seen occasionally and occasionally, maybe more often than not, is within vet med, anytime that a veterinarian is going to do something, and let's say it's not just in the clinical work, and sometimes even within the clinical work, it is titles and titles. I've talked to lots of people, and they have like so many letters after their name for all these things that they've done, right? It's a similar thing where, you know, you want to build up the knowledge base and the certificates and the diplomas and the different things, because it's a social proof of, look, I've made it, I'm smart. And I have the answers to some of these things. But yet, even internally, if we're all honest with ourselves, again, the universe is vast. You're not going to know everything, even about the topic that maybe you've spent your entire life digging into. So I think there is some humility that has to come. And especially some of the smartest people that I know, they are the most humble. And that's pretty, pretty special. Yeah, it's a really good point. I have developed a love of cognitive biases as well. But reflecting on what you're just saying, I think... I still struggle with it. I've developed this love of entrepreneurship and business. And every once in a while, um, at least a couple times a year, I sort of get this idea in my head of like, wouldn't it be a good idea to go get some actual educational training in business, like a master's in business? And then I explore that for a little bit and realize I really don't have time to do it. And 
uh, talk to people about it and they say, what are you hoping to get out of that that you haven't gotten out of your experiences actually running businesses and being in business? And I usually come up with an answer, but yeah, it's that same thing of feeling like despite my experience in business, there's always a business problem that you don't know the answer to, right? And this hope that, well, if only I had more people that had taught me and training and qualifications, then I'd be more capable of coming up with better answers to those questions. Yeah, I know a really bright, intelligent, smart veterinarian that went back to get business degree, MBA, and was like, yeah, I'm almost done, but I don't think it's exactly what I thought it was going to be. And I've learned more in practice and managing people. And all of a sudden, they're like, yep, I hear that a lot. So it's interesting that it's so hard to replicate real world experience. You can read, and I've said this in talks before, whether it's to veterinary students or people that want to be a practice owner, you can read all the books, listen to all the podcasts, do all the things, and you can be 70 some years old and just had your entire life to learn about business. If you've never done it, the person that's ran a clinic for a year is probably going to know more. You just have to sometimes get your hands dirty and go through it and live that life and you are going to figure some things out. The goal would be, it's not either or, it's like you get some and you keep learning and you get better as you go. But I want to parlay that into your kind of story and journey. So you've sold two different businesses, have gone through that experience. Maybe, I guess, give us the overview of what those businesses were, how you thought about it. And then I think the other thing that's really unique is what happens after and what did that spark for you? Yeah, let me do my best to kind of walk you through that. So the first business that I started, uh, I started as uh, actually as a vet student with a couple of my classmates. It was a company that became, it's called Vet Prep, which is an online licensure prep course for veterinarians. Really, I had never sought out to be a business person or an entrepreneur. I sought out to be a veterinarian that took care of animals, but uh, identified that it really seemed unfair that veterinarians didn't have the types of resources that med students and others had to prepare for their board exam. And my best friend one day when we were studying just said, you know what, if nobody else cares about veterinarians, like maybe we should do something for them. And it's like, wow, what a cool way of thinking about that, right? And so we got to it. And of course, we underestimated what that actually meant, but ultimately developed a product that we thought was going to help people. And we're just super fortunate to be in the right place and right time. And it seemed like almost immediately everybody started signing up to use this course that we created. And what started as a hey, let's just put something out there and hopefully one day somebody finds this and it's helpful to them, became a big responsibility to support thousands of users that were signing up to and really relying on our product to help them with this important event in their lives. So that was my first business and we ran that for about 15 years. We actually grew it to help a number of other health, healthcare professionals. I started a innovation competition for vet students as part of that business as well and, and did a number of other things there. My other business was a veterinary practice business. So along with a partner, I opened a veterinary cancer center that we grew to be several oncology clinics in the Virginia, sort of Washington, D.C. area, and was there for about 10 years and ultimately uh, sold both businesses. We sold the vet clinics first while, while I was still running the test prep business. And my recollection of that is the deal closed and nothing really changed. I still went to the same office every day and saw the same people you still was essentially the leader of that group as the medical director instead of the owner now. And the thing that was the most different is all of a sudden I had all this help. It wasn't all on me. Not all of the stresses were on me. Not all of the decisions were on me. There were people to do things for me, like market the practice and help with getting us the best prices on things and, and all those things. And it was really neat. Fortunately, in, in my case, 
I really liked the people that I was working with uh, at, at the company that we sold to. That's why, why we chose them. And so it really didn't feel like this big loss. It was almost more of an addition, although certainly, you know, did have this sense that it wasn't just mine anymore. It reminded my partners. And that was really different when we sold VetPrep. We, we sold that company to a continuing education business that I helped other skilled professionals with similar types of problems. And that we sold with the idea that, you know what, we've been doing this for 15 years. We're really tied up in other things that we're doing, or just not, we're almost holding the business back at this point. And, and let's give this to somebody else and essentially walk away. And that's what we did. And so unlike with the practices, and it was almost like the practices made me even more ill-prepared for that sale because all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a minute, I don't do this anymore. All these people that I really cared about for a lot of years and worked with and like a lot, they're not working for me anymore. We're still friends, but we aren't talking to each other all the time. And although people still associate me with that company and business and still make me super happy when somebody finds out that, oh, you were one of the founders of VetPrep, I use that and help me, thank you. Like I still take the credit for it. But all of a sudden everything changed and it was a much bigger loss than I was really anticipating, which was pretty different. Ultimately, I think the story of my practice gets more complicated. So we sold to a small consolidator and uh, several years later, they sold to a very large consolidator. And because of that, the government decided to look at that transaction and commented that they wouldn't let that transaction go through unless our practices went someplace else. And so they went through a process called divestiture, which basically means you know, sort of cut off from the initial business and sold to somebody else. And that was one of these decisions that it, it hurt a little bit, right? We had picked a specific group of people that we wanted to sell to, that we trusted, that we wanted to work with. And ultimately, they had to make the decision to say, well, we have to cut you off. And it wasn't because they didn't like our practice, want our practice, or you know, it wasn't for any reason really related to the benefit of our practice. It was for reasons related to just what was necessary for the larger business. And it, it was the right decision for the larger business. I can't complain. I don't think it was because anybody was a bad person. I know those people well, and they genuinely felt really badly that this was an unanticipated consequence of the needs of the business. And it was kind of this, I don't know, sort of just clear realization for me that when you sell your business to a larger group, what you are giving up, even though I didn't feel it right away, is control and decisions around the business to somebody not only far away, but somebody that actually just has very, very different priorities than what you had for just the small businesses that were yours, right? And so decisions get made based on just different priorities than just what's best for your practice. And I really don't have anything bad to say about the group that ultimately took over our practices. They're good people too, and they're doing the best they can. But it was kind of one of these changes that was really not desired, not in our best interests, if you will. And, and part of the reason why ultimately I moved on from those practices. That story just reminds me of hearing people that have built a house or bought property, but then the property around them that they don't own, you don't control, right? And so maybe all of a sudden there's other people that build and there's other things that change and you can only control this, but you can't control the bigger piece of that. And maybe that's a bad analogy, but just listening to that story, it's like all of a sudden the things that you were in control and, and part of the reason it probably drew you to being a business owner and being a partner in that was you can kind of dictate the direction. And when you give that up, even if you think you made the decision, you're like, hey, we know who we're with, we're good. It can still change into the future. So I used to tell my partner, Chand, at the practices when things were tough at the business for one reason or another. And why are we killing ourselves for this? And I said, you know, there's a lot of things that are really, really hard about running a business. But the one thing that makes it all worthwhile is you get to pick all the people you work with. 
And that was always super important to me is really liking the people that I work with. And uh, so getting to pick them is a big part of that. And even when we sold our practice, we kind of picked those people, right? And ultimately, like to all of a sudden have that choice go away and the people that you work with are now chosen for you. And as I said, they're not bad. They're good people too. But that was sort of a hardship. And and especially because of that, I think, sentiment that I've grown to love about, you know, that's what actually makes all this hard work worth it is getting to sort of pick those people that you're working with to make decisions and pick the people that you work with in the clinic. That was a big loss. So after that goes through and you talk about, then you kind of moved on or stepped away. What came next for you? What was kind of in your mind as the entrepreneur? You've done some things, sold some businesses. You've seen a lot. Where do you go from there? Yeah. So coincidentally, around the time some of these changes were happening with the practice, I met a friend of a friend who was working at this business that was developing this pretty comprehensive suite of resources and tools to help independent veterinary practices with a lot of the things that the consolidator that bought us helped us with. So they do things like help them with marketing and help them negotiate for the best sort of buying leverage they could have and help with recruiting and help with various aspects of facilities and phones and IT and all those things that I never really wanted to do as a veterinary practice owner. Probably, frankly, wasn't that great at doing as a veterinary practice owner. And I was happy to have somebody else ultimately come do it. And and they were doing this for independently owned practices and really looking for a veterinarian to come join their leadership team. And I was like, man, this idea of wouldn't it be cool if a practice could get all those good things that I really loved getting when we sold our practice without having to give up the things that I ultimately realized we had to give up in order to get them, namely sort of control about what happens to your practice and having decisions made based on what's in the best interest of your practice and your people was really a pretty compelling concept to me. And so that, that company is called Vetcelerator. That, that's where I am now as, as their chief veterinary officer. You've made a comment and I love this. I think it's part of why you're at Vetcelerator and, and the work that you do is that you believe that independent veterinarians are the future of the profession. What gives you that confidence or stance? Because I've had lots of these conversations and so many different people are like, eh, the days are limited for a private practice owner. Just look each year, more and more consolidation. Yeah, this might be one of those quotes that ends up looking really incorrect in 10 or 20 years, but I feel like I've seen this wave of, you know, when I started in the profession, the vast majority of clinics were still independently owned and there were a few kind of small startup consolidators that that were getting started. And we've seen the pace of consolidation growing for almost my entire time in, in this profession. But we've now kind of hit this point where there's not a lot of practices left for them to buy up that they really want. The consolidators are starting to consolidate, which is what happened with my story that I just shared. And I'm seeing over the past five years or so, this new wave of people that want to own their own veterinary practice and keep them independent, right? And, and so I think that's exciting to see. I don't think business and consolidation is inherently bad, but I think there's something really valuable about having independent practice ownership, having veterinarians continue to own veterinary practices. I think that when people think about the veterinary profession, and I think most people hold our profession in pretty high esteem, and I would love to see it stay that way, I think it's because they know that the people that are running this profession and running these businesses are people that are doing this because they care about the health of animals and care about helping people take good care of their pets. And I think that can still be the case in a corporate group, but it does get more complicated and it gets harder and, and sort of layers of that message, I think, can get lost at times. 
And I just worry about seeing what's happened to some other healthcare professions in my time as well. My parents are both, they're not doctors, uh, they're not medical doctors, they're doctors of optometry. And seeing what's happened to sort of that profession, as well as professions like doctors of pharmacy. One time, they were just widely viewed as the people that are the best caretakers of people's eyes and the people that are best caretakers of the drugs that people take. And seeing that become increasingly, they're the guy that works at this big company's store, right? And they still may be really fantastic doctors, and many of them are, but that loss of independent practice ownership of healthcare businesses like that, I think has not actually been to the overall benefit of those professions or those professionals. And so I'm hoping that veterinary medicine can be as great for the people that join this profession now and in 20 years as it has been to me. And for, I think even the people that have joined this profession for the last 30, 40, 50 years would say it's one of the best professions you could be in. And we love it. And for the most part, people love us for being in it. And I hope that continues. Hey, I love the positivity of being, this is a great profession because I think there's sometimes too much negativity where people will be like, oh, I would never recommend my kids or my nieces and nephews or, or different people to get into this profession. And it's like, man, that really hurts and stinks when you hear people that are in the profession doing the work that would say, yeah, don't come here. This isn't where you want to be. So I love it when there's folks that have done it, have had a lot of success and are like, hey, this is a great place to be. And I do think there's a lot more positivity out there. I just think the negativity gets attention at times that maybe it shouldn't. I also agree with you on private practice stuff. So if it's wrong, I'll be right there next to you saying, yep, I endorse the quote. You've seen it in dentistry as well, where there's a lot of consolidation and there's still a private practice element. There's consolidation there, but private practices are thriving. There's more people that want to own. And I do think there is a difference. So there's a guest that's been on the show. His name's Thad Miller. He has a company that does some like private practice transitions for both dentistry and vet med. And on the dentistry side, really, really strong young dentists coming out. They want to own vet med. It's, it's a little less, but it is interesting. And I do think that there's a lot of young veterinarians that want to own. And I've seen those people, but part of it might be who reaches out to me? Who do I talk to? It's probably that subset anyways. And I'm getting less of folks that maybe don't want it. So I have to be careful there. But the question, so that was just, I guess, my comment question is, so you've seen optometry, you've seen pharmacy, vet med, dental, this idea of get big or get out. Why do you think structurally that is? Because it's even true for the hardware store on the corner, the grocery store, it's all these different things. Do you have any thoughts on that? I know it's like a bigger macro question. Well, I think in the veterinary field, at least, I don't know that I could speak as much to the others. I think some of it was driven by a bit of momentum around valuation of practices by consolidators. People oftentimes talk about valuation of practices based on multiples of earnings and the like, and you were going to buy a business that you were planning to run for the next 30 years. You might be willing to pay five or six times what it's earning right now because you're going to make that for the next 30 years and hopefully grow that business, right? But you can't pay 10 or 20 times what it's making right now, right? As a value for that business. But because of the consolidation sort of model of buying practices and actually increasing not only their value through efficiencies, but their multiple because of their size, they started sort of paying these big numbers for practices. And I think people started to get these offers and they sort of have to look and say, hey, I started this practice because I love my community and I love the animals in my community and I want to help them. But this is sort of an opportunity for me to actually be able to 
take care of my family and send my kids to college. And it would be almost irresponsible financially for them to say no to some of those offers, right? And so they're stuck in a little bit of a tough predicament where they want to keep their clinic independent, but their associates can't reasonably afford to pay close to what some large group might be willing to offer and have to make a tough decision. It's also, it's an opportunity for them and value that they've created in a sense. And so it's complex, right? I think that was a piece of it. I think we're starting to see some of that market settle a little bit. We'll see what happens. But I think that recognition, and this may be one of the good things about sort of corporations coming in, but that recognition that veterinary practices can actually be profitable. I think the people and the practices that I worked in growing into the field, I bet you those practices were running at zero to less than 10% profit most of the time. And owners were okay with that, right? But seeing that corporations can come in and run practices at 10 to 20% and higher profitability is a good thing for veterinarians to see and realize. Doesn't mean that's how everybody should run their practice, but I think that can make it that much more appealing to sort of think about independent practice ownership as a good opportunity. And I wanted to reflect on one other thing you mentioned, which was, is this a good profession or not, right? Uh, or a great profession or not? I think it is definitely a great profession, but it is absolutely not an easy profession, right? And I think that is where things get tricky, right? It's not an easy profession because there's a lot of stress and a lot of pressure. There's potentially this pull to get drawn into things that are after hours and weekend things. And we feel like to be a great doctor, we want to provide that to our clients. And we have to deal with tough situations, people that may not have the financial ability or otherwise willingness to pay for the things that uh, we might think their pet needs or deserves. We have to sometimes deal with animosity over people wanting us to provide that care despite them not having the ability to pay for it. It is tough. Despite being a great profession, it is not for everybody that loves animals. I think that's probably an easy statement to agree with. And I would say, I haven't really thought about this, but one of the things that is a topic of conversation now is kind of the relative explosion of sort of new veterinary schools and sort of seats in veterinary school and the concern that could we actually go from having a workforce shortage to a surplus. But I think yeah, this may be a profession where the average sort of professional life expectancy isn't 30 or 40 years. And my dad and my mom, they were optometrists for 30 or 40 years. That's what they did. I was a practicing veterinarian for less than 15, right? Yeah, I still do some locum work and I treated my last patient. And a big part of that's me, I think, I know there was actually no profession I possibly could have chosen that I would want to do for 30 or 40 years. I don't think I knew that when I started all this, but I realize that about myself now. But I also think that when you look at professions like human oncologists, right, like they have an average sort of professional window on average that it's less than 20 years, I think. Some people can do this for 40 years and still love every single day that they go to work. But I think on average, potentially the sort of professional window for people may not be as long as it was for a previous generation. So it's a great profession. I love it. I'm extremely proud to be associated with it. And I'm sure I always will be, but those would be some of my butts around that. I think that's a really profound thought that I've never heard anyone say, but I completely agree with in enough conversations that I've had with veterinarians, it makes sense. You see it a lot, right? There's a number of significant businesses that are sort of focused on veterinarians don't want to all be in practice. They may want to 
be working for a telehealth company. They may want to just do relief so that they can have a bit more flexibility on their schedule, their mental sort of health bandwidth to be in practice all the time. They may want a flexible schedule, right? Yeah, I mean, I hadn't really thought about it until I was just talking about it, but that notion that you can't necessarily apply the same math to the number of graduating vets and say, well, that means that 20, 30 years from now, there's going to be this many veterinarians because the actual attrition rate, I think, is probably going up as well. If you can improve the health of an animal, you do it, right? Of course, that's what makes veterinarians special. You're mission driven. My friends at LifeLearn are the exact same way. For over 25 years, they've been partnering with you and your peers, providing affordable, customizable online software solutions. These solutions save time, increase efficiency, and assist in managing all aspects of operations. Why? They wanna help you Improve your partnership with pet owners to improve pet health. LifeLearn has award-winning digital media solutions and are leading the pack as they've prioritized having extensive veterinary knowledge throughout their teams. That difference is seen, it's heard, and it's read by thousands of people across the country. Relax, grow, and thrive with LifeLearn. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer to see how LifeLearn can allow you to get back to what you do best. Anything else on practice ownership, the state of kind of the opportunity set there? Anything you'd want to share with younger veterinarians that are like, hmm, I might want to be a practice owner? Because I do think we can kind of parlay a couple of these different topics into work that you've done at Vane, but I don't want to leave it quite yet. I mean, the message I would love to give to people is you can do it, right? Veterinarians either are or they become natural problem solvers, right? And essentially, that's what an entrepreneur is. They're problem solvers. And you see stories all the time and see veterinarians that they just kind of have to come up with crazy solutions to try to provide a positive outcome for a new problem or a new question. And the same thing is really true about starting a business. And we talked a little bit about sort of imposter syndrome and the like before and this notion of like, well, who am I to start a veterinary practice? I don't know the first thing about it. Well, the good news is you actually know a lot about it. The other good news is you're not the first one. And there are people that can help with most of the things that you might run into, whether that's I need to find a building that's in a good area for veterinary practice. I don't know how to build a veterinary clinic. I don't know how to choose X, Y, or Z or how to charge for things or how to hire people. I'm going to digress if that's okay. One of my favorite stories when we started vet prep was we I'd grown that for a number of years and we had 85% of veterinary students were signing up for the course. It was going great, but it was almost like we didn't really know what to do next, right? And we kind of had a little bit of an idea that it would be cool to make a course for technicians, but we had now made it that much further in our career and we just weren't sure what to do. And we met with somebody that was actually a friend of my dad's and we were talking to him about, is this a business we should potentially sell even though it's doing really well? And we were telling him about what we're doing and he said, I bet I could help you sell this business but I honestly don't understand why you guys want to sell it. I said, well, it's kind of done as good as it can do. Like, where do we go from here? And I said, well, is there anything else you guys would build if you could build anything? I said, well, we kind of have this pretty neat software and it's helping vets and we would build a course for veterinary technicians. And he said, okay, why don't you do that? And we said, well, because we don't really have the time. Well, why don't you hire somebody? And we said, well, because we don't really know anybody. Why don't you place an ad? <laughs> And 
we literally had never, the idea never dawned on us. We had one employee, he was my brother-in-law, <laughs> and we were just buddies from school that started this thing. And we just kind of viewed it as we're doing this because we like each other and we get to do something cool. And this idea that placing an ad and hiring somebody, that sounds like really running a business. And we don't know how to do that, right? No, we had been running a business. We do know how to do this, right? We were just afraid that we were going to no longer have this little friend circle and all the people of the business were in the same little group. But, you know, we came to find out that actually some of the people that we hired were really awesome. And even more surprisingly, some of them ended up caring about the business as much as we cared about the business. Sometimes maybe even if it's possible, more than we cared about the business. Right. And I think I look back on it, I just think it was so funny that what was holding us back was this fear of we don't really know how to run a business, even though we were running a very successful business. We don't know how to run a business. We don't know how to hire people. We'd be afraid to hire a stranger because we don't know how to manage people. You can figure these things out. You're not the first person to ever try to do these things. And I think they probably feel that way. Like, I don't know if I would have started a practice if I hadn't sort of been through this experience of kind of starting another business first. But I would just say like, you can do it. You're not building something for the first time. There are people that can help you. And you're obviously smart. You know the field. And objectively, right, there's not that many people that can start a veterinary practice, but you're one of them. Yep. I think that's a really nice extra bonus. There's not like every person in the world can come compete in your little subsector of business because you need some prerequisites, right? You got to kind of have some things in place. So that is helpful. And I think on that kind of same line of thinking, starting a business and having tools and having new technology that is there to help support things is kind of what you all are doing at Vane, which is the veterinary angel network for entrepreneurs, where you can find these opportunities that are coming in to help support veterinary medicine, make it better, to make it easier for private practice to thrive, right? To bring efficiencies. And maybe that can also help with the kind of life cycle of how long a veterinarian can feel comfortable, contribute, but also produce great care during their time, however long that is, whether it's a decade, two decades, half a decade. Yeah, let's talk about Vane, I guess. I'd love to tell you the story of how we started Vane because it just ties into some things we, we were just talking about. So I told you about this feeling I had after we sold vet prep about, oh man, like I didn't realize like all of a sudden I wasn't going to have this really cool thing anymore. And it's this big loss. And I call from my friend Brian probably a couple months after we sold that prep, which was a couple years after we sold the practices. And he says, hey, how are you doing? I was like, well, pretty good. I have a little bit more time now. I have a few less stresses on my shoulders. I think this was the right time and the right thing to do. But honestly, I kind of just feel like I'm just going into work like everybody else now. And I used to be doing really cool stuff and building cool stuff. And don't get me wrong. I love my job and it's important. And I get to do awesome things at my job, but I just feel like I'm missing something and I don't want to sort of lose this connection to innovation, animal health and the like. And he's like, that's really interesting. He said, you know, I've talked to a couple other people recently that have sold practices or been through something similar and, and had some similar sentiments. Let's start talking. And I said, okay, well, why not? And that sort of turned into, well, if all of us are kind of feeling this way, maybe there's more people that feel this way and maybe we should do something about that. So I said, okay, maybe we should create a group. And that went from, and what is this group going to do? Is it just going to be a bunch of old guys to get together and talk about animal health? Like, what are we actually going to do that might be impactful? And so that was sort of where this idea of making early stage investments, animal health businesses sort of came about and this idea to start 
a angel investing network for animal health companies or the veterinary angel network for entrepreneurs or vain. And we started by inviting people in our network that had some interest and have gradually seen that grow. We're about three years old now, have about 75 members. And the idea is just that. I mean, there's a lot of good people and good ideas going around in animal health to try to make things better for animals, better for veterinarians, better for the profession, all of the above. And it's really cool and it's really fun to hear about those things, to have the opportunity to give advice to people that are starting those kinds of ideas and businesses and to potentially you know, even kind of be on that journey with them a little bit by becoming an investor at the early stages of their business. And a little bit to my surprise, I had when we started to talk about this idea, I was like, I'm not an angel investor. I've been very fortunate in my life to have a couple of businesses and sold them. I'm still working. I am not at like a place where I can retire. I don't have a bunch of extra money to be sort of gambling on startups. But you know, this idea that you can make a pretty big impact by making some pretty small investments and that actually, if you start to sort of think about early stage investment and think about it as opposed to making one investment, but sort of developing a small portfolio of investments, it starts to be a little bit more of a science and a little bit less like gambling. And you actually have a pretty good chance of making a return on that investment that could be comparable or better to the other things that people tend to do as relates to sort of investing and retirement planning and the like. And so that all started to just make a lot of sense and started to make it feel sort of more approachable for a regular guy like me. Yeah, I love that. And the other cool thing is as you do it, similar to what we talked about at the beginning, right? As you get experience, get more comfortable, confidence, you also then start to have companies that you've invested in, you get to know what they're doing. And then when a new company is coming out, it's like, oh, there's a really cool overlap and they're doing this and they're doing that. They can all come together and, and actually do some cool things jointly together. And I think that's a pretty unique angle to look at this as well. And it just helps you understand what's going on in the industry and you can help hopefully avoid misallocations of capital. And I think especially, and again, I'll go on a slight tangent right now with rates going up a little higher, it makes it a little harder for a lot of these companies to raise money. So hopefully there's better ideas that do have legit product market fit that are solving a real issue and not just, hey, this is an interesting idea. Let's give it a shot because we can go borrow a bunch of money and, and kind of burn it for a while without having to make sure that there's something here that has merit at the end of it. So that's not necessarily in vet med, but that's more just VC in general and just broader kind of tech adoption. So it is really fun when arms of your life start to kind of like come together and, and help each other in some ways. So we at Bain, we made an investment in a company called Print Oxygen, which provides at home sort of oxygen solution for pet owners that have pets that may become or are oxygen dependent. And then at Accelerator, I work with this fantastic practice owner, owns a urgent care clinic and was looking to sort of host uh, an event in her area and have some giveaways for, for regional vets. And I was like, oh, you should talk to Blake. He has this really cool product so that if one of your clinics that refers to you has an oxygen dependent pet, they can't give them a big cylinder of oxygen to take in their car, right? Like that's, that's an explosive hazard. It's against the law, but he actually has these little oxygen tanks. They're rated for that and they could actually give that to a client and they could send this oxygen dependent pet to your clinic while getting oxygen instead of feeling like, well, they're stuck because it's not safe for them to go anywhere. And I made that connection to the two of them. And 
extremely helpful for both of them. I get calls from both of them saying, oh, thanks so much for making this introduction so helpful to my business and just a, a great connection to make. And so that is a pretty fun thing about learning about new things that people are doing and working on and, and sort of seeing where they might be able to provide a benefit to other things that are around the things that you're doing. And that's one of the cool things about I'm a veterinarian. I work in animal health and I invest in animal health. I do it mostly because I think I know a little bit more about animal health than I do about Bitcoin, for example. But it also turns out that I do it because, yeah, I still care about animal health. I still work in animal health and, and it's neat to sort of just build more connections there. Yep, absolutely. And there's a, a famous investor, his name's Peter Lynch, he's written a bunch of books, but it's in Warren Buffett's talked about it as well. If you have more knowledge of an industry, sometimes it can make you overconfident. So going back to that Dunning-Kruger where you think you know more than you do and you let ego get in the way and you do some dumb things. But a lot of times it can help you see the potential issues that are there and maybe avoid those big mistakes that someone that has a lot less industry knowledge would make. So yeah, definitely love that. What's something about Vane that maybe a lot of people don't know that you think they should know? It is one of the most interesting and impressive group of people to sort of be in a club with because Vane is not actually a investment fund. Uh, it's what we call a network. We work collaboratively and we function. It is kind of not more than a glorified club in some ways, but it is a group of people that they want to help. Um, they want to sort of see innovation. They want to see things improve in animal health and in the profession and they, and they want to be contributing. And so it's just a group of people that I'm just extremely proud to be associated with. And it's always fun to welcome new people that sort of see that as something they want to get involved into. Perfect. Well, I typically allow guests to kind of share anything that maybe I haven't asked about on their heart and mind. Maybe we haven't even touched on it yet. Things that are going on, maybe that, things that you're excited about that you see. Anything that you want to touch on or, or discuss a little bit? Oh my goodness. I should be more prepared for this question. We talked about so much already. I think that, I think I don't have a great answer to your question. Yeah. Well, okay. I'll parlay it into if you have a question for me. So typically I'll always close episodes with allowing a guest to ask me any question they want. It can be serious. It can be obviously not serious, but it's me over here peppering you with questions and asking follow-ups. And I think it's nice to kind of turn that around a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, we talked a little bit about my experience having been through the sale of a couple of my own businesses. And I happen to know that uh, you know, you've been really forthcoming and sort of sharing your thoughts and feelings about making the decision to move away from one of yours. And that's in the works right now. And and it sounds like that's probably going to be a little bit more my experience with the test prep company when, when you sort of you're passing it along and, and kind of stepping away from it. So yeah, I'm sort of curious about how you're feeling about that? What do you think? I talked about how I sort of felt this big sense of loss when I realized I wasn't doing that anymore. You think you'll feel the same thing? Yeah. And so it's been a little different with the way that it probably all came together or happened than the test prep. But yeah, I mean, I've been very blessed and fortunate to have a lot of really good relationships and people that I've gotten to know. And that's meaningful conversations that people don't share with a lot of other people or anyone, right? And so to then not really have a way to then say like, hey, by the way, I'm going to move. And it's just kind of like an abrupt change. It's difficult. And so I think for me, one of the big things mentally was being comfortable knowing that that probably would happen, might happen, but I wasn't really sure when I began to have the conversations and push to make a change there. But yeah, I think that is hard because I think there's a lot of confusion where people might think certain things that aren't necessarily true. Oh, I think Isaiah thinks X, Y, Z. And it's like, well, it might not be true, but I can't really communicate that very well. 
So one of the things I tried to do was just use the podcast and use social media to just let people know like, hey, I care. It wasn't anything to do with the work or these other things. Like there's other reasons for why I made the decision that I made. And hopefully people can respect that. And I think most people have, they get it. They understand, especially those in vet med, when it's like, it's time to make a change or something you need to do differently. I think especially within veterinary medicine, they they understand that. And just the outpouring of feedback or messages, whether it was an Instagram DM or Facebook messages, because people might not have my personal cell phone or any of that stuff. It's been humbling. It's been cool. And it's like, okay, th- there was meaningful work done. And I do think I will miss it. And I'm on to something different, also meaningful, but just different from that standpoint. So yeah, it is harder. And I think there's some really good information from the Exit Planning Institute. So I took some CE additional learning stuff, just as we were joking earlier about all the different credentials and all that stuff. I think financial services has a bunch of weird, junky credentials as well. But one of them that I took that was meaningful was called the Certified Exit Planning Advisor. And the Exit Planning Institute is who ran it. And what they talk about is, you know, you have business owners and people you work with, so much time, energy, mental thought went into that business. And then when it's done, they feel a little lost. Well, what do I do? And I think for so many, especially Americans in general, we tie a lot of our worth to what we do because everyone asks like, oh, what do you do for a living? And trying to have like, what else do we do? Who am I as an individual outside of work? And I've talked about that a lot, but I think it's just important to continue to harp on is, yeah, you're a veterinarian, but you're also a lot of other things. And just make sure that you don't lose that because if God forbid something happens and you can't practice veterinary medicine, you don't want to be a shell of a person. So I think for me, it's just trying to continue to remember, like you do lots of other things and you can still have those relationships that you maybe used to have that was more professional. There's still private relationships that you can have with those people. And and if you do care about them, you'll find ways to connect. So yeah, that's kind of the way I look at it. Thanks. Uh, It's something I I have started to think about a little bit too. I, I think I, certainly not for the better, but I have tied up a lot of my identity and sort of sense of self-worth, if you will, in in the things that I've done professionally. It's because I've loved them and I care about them. And I will always sort of consider myself to be a part of them or associated with them in some way. But as I also sort of now think of myself as a husband and a father to two growing kids and, you know, thinking about priorities and the fact that I'm not going to be doing the things that I'm doing now forever. What is it that is most meaningful and important and where I want to be spending my time, not only now, but in a few years and in 10 or 15 is hard when for my whole life, it's been school, 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 training, 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 profession, profession, business, business. And yeah, I'm not there yet, but sort of starting to get to that point of thinking about what about when business isn't the most important thing anymore and work isn't the most important thing? What then? And certainly know people that have really struggled with that. And I think that unless I'm more proactive about it, I'll be one of those people. So I'm trying to start to get ahead of a little bit by thinking about those things and hopefully giving myself a smoother transition at some point. Yeah. Amen. I'm in the same situation. It's easy to say. It's hard to do. I know I need to do a better job out of it at it as well. Right. So it's thinking about what do you say your priorities are and then what do you actually do? And those sometimes are not the same thing. And it cuts deep when someone points that out and you're like, hmm, good point. I need to do better at that. So it's not simple, right? These things are very complex. I certainly would say that my family and my kids are at the top of that list of priorities, but I spend more hours of my day working and thinking about my work than than I do spending and doing things with them typically. And that's complex. I think I do think that it's important for them 
to see that uh, their mom and their dad work hard and commit to things and are doing these things, but you know, don't want that to come at the expense of our relationships with them and the events in their lives that we want to be a part of and see and celebrate with them and all of that. And it's hard to have it all. Like nobody quite figures out that perfect balance of those things. And maybe that's not the, maybe that shouldn't be the goal, but it feels like a constant struggle. Yeah. I think it's just a constant process of checking in, weighing that out, having conversations with the people that you care about their opinions the most, the people that love you the most, know you the best, and just making sure like you have some sort of true north that you can go back to and check in. So I'm sure you're doing a great job. As you've heard, a few different things going on professionally. My, my wife's a harder worker than me and has even more going on. And, and we sometimes joke that like, I mean, October is a great example. One of us is going to be traveling for 75% of the month. We actually have to coordinate our travel. So we're not both gone at the same time for the kids. But that means like, yeah, there's probably only a handful of days in October where we're both going to see each other. We've had Times where it's like, oh, maybe we'll see each other at the airport when you're coming in and I'm leaving, right? Yeah, that would seem to conflict with one of those things that genuinely think is a priority, which is my family and that relationship. Yeah. Well, I think it's a great spot to kind of put a pin in things. Where should people reach out to connect with you if they have interest in Accelerator, Vein, some of the other stuff you're working on? Where would you send them? Yeah, I'll send everybody to my personal address instead of giving a bunch of different ones for different places. But yeah, you can reach out to me by emails is typically best. That's Gordon, G-O-R-D-O-N dot 372 at gmail.com. Perfect. We'll have it in the show notes. Actually, I probably won't put an email in the show notes. I'm going to make people listen to the end and they can grab it and jot it down. And if they need it, they can just DM me and I'll, uh, I'll make sure they get it. But Dr. Gordon, this is great. Really appreciate you and the time. And you know, there's a lot to take away for people that listen. So yeah, I hope so. It was fun to spend some time and, and great to connect on a few of these things. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment tax or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. However, you are intelligent enough to make decisions for yourself. So I do encourage you to dig in, learn for yourself and not just outsource every decision that you make. You should talk to your professional team if you have one before implementing anything that I talk about, but also make sure they know what they're talking about. Push them, question them. That's healthy. That's okay. Oh yeah. And you should probably own and learn a little bit about that Bitcoin thing. The biggest compliment you can give to me is to share the show with a friend or the podcast if there's another episode that you really like. That helps folks find it. That helps it grow. Um, reviews are critical. The Apple podcast is the platform that's predominantly used for how people find the show. So if you have three minutes, love the show, please head over, give us five stars. If you believe that's what we earned, that would help more people find the show. Also, if you're new, go to YouTube. It's a channel, uh, putting up all the videos there as well. Sometimes it's going to be more interactive. Other times it's just going to be the conversation. So vainly, I want to get a hundred subscribers. So I get the vanity URL. That's the goal. We're on our way, but not quite there yet. For all of today's links information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can also subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss any episodes in the future. And finally, if you'd like more information, insights, or have the ability to, for your voice to be heard, join the Facebook group. You can search for the Veterinarian Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll to the bottom, about your host, click on the Facebook icon. And thanks again for listening. I appreciate you. All right. So there are a lot of great job postings that I want to get to. And so we're going to start off with Bayside Hospital for Animals. Great work-life balance in beautiful Fort Walton Beach, Florida. No weekends, Monday to Friday, eight to five, no on-call or emergencies. It's appointment only here. Currently a two and a half doctor practice, new owner in 2021. 
bringing some fresh life into the hospital. The new owner had been there for six years prior working, so definitely understands the team, the processes, and the community. Lots of investment in people and new equipment. ProSal is the pay structure. Far too many benefits for me to list. Email BaysideVet251 at Yahoo or call 850-864-1857. Join a thriving, growing, small animal practice in Vermont on the Quebec border. Full-time, ideal, part-time is considered. The idea is to start with yes with the team, patients and clients in outdoor woman's paradise while uh, being able to practice high-quality medicine. Compensation is write your own structure within production capabilities. Literally, it is the owner wants to find the right person and is happy to negotiate, chat through, and find the right fit. If you want autonomy and a boss that enjoys teaching, reach out to Newport Veterinary Hospital. You can email newportveterinaryhospital at gmail.com. North Central Indiana, looking for an oasis in the chaos? Who isn't, right? Come join the amazing team at Fulton County Veterinary Clinic. They strive to foster a fun, fast-paced work environment while providing quality patient care. They utilize the support staff efficiently so that the doctor is available practice medicine and do what you're trained to do in less time and paperwork, which is great. Lots of investment in new equipment and technology to support you full-time or part-time available. Small animal and exotics are both seen there. So no ER, no on-call, no weekends, competitive salary with sign-on bonus offered and far too many benefits to list. Go to Fulton County Veterinary Clinic. So type that in and you'll find the job posting there. Last but not least, join Watertown Animal Hospital personable, small animal veterinarian wanted for well-established current five doctor mixed animal practice in Northern New York, which is an outdoors person's paradise. Again, two of those. So if you like the outdoors, you can look at Vermont or New York. They have plenty of support staff with six CSRs, six licensed technicians, four animal caretakers, two technical assistants, hospital associate, or sorry, hospital assistant, a practice manager, and a bookkeeper. Focuses on mentorship and investment on the people and the technology. That's been a strategic initiative by the leadership team. No on-call, 24-hour ER, less than an hour away. Salary based on experience, but no less than 95000 Can be straight salary, pro-sal considered. Want to discuss that with the right person. Tons of benefits. Again, too much to list. Please reach out to watertownpetcare.com for that option as well. So again, if you find a role or a job or talk to anyone and it helps you in any way, I would love to hear that feedback. So please reach out. Let me know what you're able to do. And I will continue to post these. So if you are an owner, reach out to me, let me know. And we'll go from there. And until I hit a capacity of I can't keep recording these, I want to let people know who are high quality owners around the country looking for great help. So with that, we'll talk soon.